Um, we should probably get some, should we get the elephant in the room out of the way straight away? Um, I mentioned, I mentioned your win at Knock Hill, but that was actually the, the second time that you'd um, taken the chequered flag first, um, because the, that, that, there was that Alton Park win, in inverted commas, um, that actually ended up being taken away because... Yeah, I'll tip that out, basically. <laughs> I was going to say, you could have said, yeah. or shall I? The least I want to do in 2020 is win the Independence Championship for, for myself, for, for MB, and obviously with, with a Honda will just be fantastic. But I know it sounds like a daft one, but I think people think that like racing drivers, well, they can't get scared, because if you get scared, how can you race? When you're doing 100 mile an hour plus, you know, you can be up to, say, at Thruxton, 150 mile an hour plus. And the thing, Thruxton's bad for aquaplaning. You know, and the thing just wants to snap sideways at 130, 40 mile an hour. It's not a, a believe me, it's not a pleasant experience. I believe you. Um, and so, no, I don't, I, get, I do get pretty scared at those points. Welcome to the final episode of Gridwalk Talk, the podcast discussing all things Tintop, brought to you by Honda and Team Dynamics. I'm Louise Goodman, ITV's British Touring Car Championship reporter. And as always, I have Halford Zuwasa Racing's Matt Neal and Dan Kamish along with me for the ride. Hi guys, how are you doing? Yeah, very well. How are we doing? Yeah, good. Thanks. Do you okay, Matt? Yeah, never been better. Good, good. So this is our last podcast before the season finally gets underway at Donington Park. Thank goodness for that. Well, thank goodness the season's getting underway, I should say. Not that it's our last podcast. Um, I am, I reckon on a scale of one to ten, I'm about at an eight at the moment in terms of excitement with the season starting. It will get up to ten by the time we get to Donington. Where are you both at? Go on, Dan. Um, Go on, Dan. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly getting there. I'm, I'm getting warmer. Um, obviously, we had the tyre test uh, recently, which has which has sort of whetted the appetite a little bit, and it was bloody wet as well on track. Um, but no, it's certainly the excitement certainly building. Um, looking for yeah, looking forward to it now. It's been a it's been a long time since um, since Branch GP, and I'll be honest, I, I can't wait to put that one behind me. So I can't <laughs> wait to get to uh, I can't wait to get to Donington and get and get back in the groove a little bit. You Make know? new memories. Do you still new get memories. excited? Do you still get excited about the start of the season, Matt? Because you've, you've seen a few of them. This is a special one, though, isn't it? The 13th season. <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't say excited. I get nervous. And not nervous about um, in trepidation. It's nervous because you don't want to make a mistake. And it is going to be pretty frenetic season. You know, you've, you've got... Because it's so close and compact, you've got, you've got 27 individuals out there all thinking they've got a chance <laughs> at it. Um, which with the way the regs work they have but there's you know there's there's a lot of there's probably 10 drivers in it who could win the championship I believe now um, you because to win it you've just got to have the luck running run with you um, and I always I've always said the line you walk between looking a genius and having a great race and looking a clown because the racing so frenetic and physical it's it's a very fine line and um, so that, that's why I get nervous these days you say about 10 drivers who could win the championship based on what? Just based on, on paper or based on what you saw at the, at the test? Because um, you've, you've actually been out and done some, well, been at the, the pre-season test at Snettertone, as, as, uh, as Dan was saying. I think take, ignore the test because it was mixed conditions and yeah. you don't know what weights and engine maps and everything else people are running. Just on uh, driver ability, teams and cars they're in, knowing 
knowing uh, their strengths and weaknesses. And I think there's, there's a lot of good packages out there. And if you take the driver as part of a package, um, there's some very strong packages out there. Aside from the fact it's been a long wait, which as you've referred to previously, it's actually played into your hands because it's given you extra time for your, your shoulder to get better. What, what other differences has it made having to wait this long for the, for the start of the season? Oh, my garden looks mint. That's the one difference it's made. I think it just physically, it's, I, I wouldn't have been able to start the season. I did, a, I did the media day test. And I was adamant I was going to make it. And, but in real, reality, there was no chance of me making the first race. So it's, it's been a, a blessing in disguise for me, if you can call it that, um, for, for making the grid this year. I, I don't think I would have made the season period or definitely not the first half of the season. So, um, Who would have stood in for you? It would have been Flash. Flash was lined Flash, up. Yeah. He was ready yeah. with his boots, boots packed. Yeah, I got, bet he was. Got his old overalls dusted off. <laughs> so has he got it? Uh, well, it, it sort of, he knew what he was going into it open eyes. Yeah. And I was out of and I was going to try and try and do it at that point. But he did a great job. You know, he jumped. He'd had a hard time two years in World Touring Cars. And he'd had not a hard time. He'd had a rotten time. Because me being involved with Eurosport and the commentary side, I was having to talk about it, which was, which was tough because... Mm. It was making him look stupid, and he isn't stupid, and he isn't a bad driver. He's a very good driver, but he jumped straight back in the Honda and was banged straight on it. You know, sometimes he was quicker than Dan, sometimes he was within a tenth of Dan. So, you know, and Dan's a good benchmark in BTC at the moment, and in you know, and on the world stage. So, um, it was good for Flash's uh, self confidence. Yeah, but um, it was a good thing to prove to himself that he's that you haven't lost it because I think as a driver, the first place you look is inwardly um, when you're struggling because, you know, what am I doing wrong myself? Because it is a mental game out there. What about for you, Dan, having all this this time to wait? Are you, are you totally buffed up now, extra time in the gym? <laughs> I wish. Uh, <laughs> I agree with Matt. My, my garden is looking, uh, is looking very nice. We spent um, quite a bit of time on that because... I, uh, I moved house in, uh, in November uh, and I live down in Twickenham with my girlfriend so that's been a bit of a change. It's been nice to be able to spend a bit more time here, uh, albeit under, would have been nice to do it under different conditions, obviously what's happening out there in the world. Um, but yeah, you know, we've sort of settled in here, done a lot for the garden. Um, obviously the gyms have been closed, that's my excuse as to why the six pack will have to wait <laughs> a little bit longer. Um, but I have been out, you know, keeping my keeping my fitness up, uh, running quite a lot. Um, Halfords were kind enough to send me a send me a nice new bike that I've been doing some some trails on, uh, which has been good fun. So, yeah, it's uh, it's just been a long time, hasn't it? You know, let's say Brands was was so long ago. Um, we did the, we did the media day, and then we've had that, that bit of a break. Um, so yeah, it was nice to get back in it at the media day, at the uh, at the tire test. You know, you do start to miss it even after just such a short time. God knows what I'm going to do one day when I uh, sort of retire, or if it's not possible to continue, I'm going to be climbing the walls. Um, oh, I don't know. I was kind of thinking, if this is what retirement looks like, bring it on. I love to. Oh my God, I'm going for long walks. And <laughs> oh no, I like that bit. I just want to do that and drive a racing car. Oh, okay, completely. fair enough. Fair enough. That's, that's the bit I, I miss. As we are about to go racing again, it seemed appropriate to make the topic for, for this, our final podcast, races. So we're going to be talking about your favourite races, 
the races you'd rather forget, um, the most significant races you've ever driven, driven in, um, amongst other things. And as always, we've, we've got some questions from the fans and a special guest um, joining us. So um, plenty for everyone to look forward to over the next hour or so. So let's get things underway by talking about your most memorable race. And Matt, I'm kind of, my head and probably yours as well is going straight to Donington 1999 and that massive great big payout. Am I right? Yeah, probably. There's two races. I mean, if someone said a special race, it would be it would be Bathurst 1000, um, the October before then in 98. Why was, why was that so memorable? Because it was it was in the super touring area of the 90s and um, it was really before V8 supercars down in Australia. So they were trying to make a mark and the manufacturers were all trying to make a mark in the Southern Hemisphere. It was such an an iconic race, you know, it's a thousand kilometers, doesn't sound a lot, that's seven hours, it's a flat out sprint, um, two drivers per car, and um, all the manufacturers were throwing everything at it, you've got BMW, uh, Honda, Volvo, uh, G- Holden, which was GM, Vauxhall then, and um, Nissan didn't have the budget to do it, I was with Nissan then, and they, um, we managed to Cobble, I went down there as a bit of a reward the year before with Stephen Richards in an Aussie car and the car broke and it wasn't very good. So as a, as a sort of a payback, they, Nissan Motorsport Europe got a little bit of a budget together and they said, oh, you can have the test car out of RML and take that down there, uh, which was at, uh, in Didka at Nissan Motorsport Europe. So we went down to collect the car and it was in a million pieces and RML had taken every good piece off it. So they just chucked it all in a container and went out there. But we were really the poor relation. And the longest mileage uh, one of the Nissan Super Touring engines had done before then was 700k before they all expired. So they said, oh, you'll never finish the race. And um, so we qualified on the front row. And I remember the the boss of Europe, then Alec Paul, he said, oh, if you can just qualify somewhere near the front, you'll, you'll be all right. And then we qualified on the front. And I remember him walking to us up on the grid and he goes, if you could just run with the front runners for a bit, um, you know, that'd be amazing because we'll get TV. And we did and we led the race early on. And he said, well, just go as long as you go before the engine packs up. And then we ended up losing the race by one and a half seconds after seven hours. It was a, it was a massive thing. And then the engine expired 100 metres after the finish line. Seriously? Yeah, so I didn't even make it back to Park Fermi, which, and if you don't make it back to Park Fermi, you're not classified as a finisher. Yeah. So lucky for me, uh, Clennon came up behind me in the, in the box, which was the Holden down there, and he, he figured it out and he pushed me all the way back to Park Fermi. So I was classified as a finisher in second. That is when you know who your mates are, isn't it? Well, yeah, we were rivals, and, but I wasn't really a rival of, of John's at that point. I was sort of, sort of the younger guys. Um, so yeah, that was that was a pretty cool thing he did for me. But obviously Donington in '99 and and taking 250 grand off Gow, that was that was quite special. It's, it was actually nothing to do with the win that you enjoyed that race so much, was it? It was purely removing a large amount of money from Alan Gow's pocket. Am I right there? The only disappointing thing I found out was that he insured against it. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't his cash. And actually, when I won the, you know, I was lucky enough, the one race I did win last year, I think, was it last year? was the double diamond win at Snetterton. Yep. And um, I was like, okay, where's my check? All these big special <laughs> races, you've got to step up to the place. And I, you know, Alan has a way of putting you in your place and telling you you're not going to get any money, which he does very often. 
I've seen you. I've seen the pictures of you with that big check. I've heard you talk about the race, but I've, I've never seen the race itself. How did you how did you win it? As in, I know you crossed the line first, but what was the nature of the race? Was it like were you sort of that was it David and Goliath scenario that you just had them from the outset or did you have to battle really hard for it? Well, what Alan did is they used to make a big thing about independents or privateers yep. competing against the factory cars. And then there was a big factory element. But a lot of times you weren't allowed the same engines, the same tyres, and tyres were really, really critical. And Alan took out insurance. He took two insurances out. One that someone wouldn't win three races on the bounce, and one that, which was 250 grand, and one that someone wouldn't win uh, the first independent to win a race. And it was a 30 grand premium for him. But what he failed to tell the insurance company is he changed the regulations over the winter. So for the first time ever, we got the same tyres as the factory cars. And at that meeting, we won. So the insurance company, you imagine, were, were pretty pissed. Yeah, they, went, okay. they were not. Uh, so the, the car got sealed and what they, they went into a, what they call a 72-hour strip, where they just stripped it into a million pieces. And at the very next round, um, uh, two weeks later, um, all the Nissan drivers coincidentally get a random drugs test for the first time in about 10 years and um so uh and then then you know the um normally your drugs tests come back within well you you can't you don't get to results you just speak to your your um you know the msa and um mine didn't come back for six weeks so you can imagine you you just you don't know you don't you're not guilty but one thing you I know did but do you is, don't know well they they've given you they give you this um um leaflet on what's banned and what's not banned and all this and i'm packing my kit bag up at the end of the weekend at silverstone two weeks later and i'm just reading through this leaflet and i'd had a snivelly nose on the friday night before in the motorhome and i just took one sudafed tablet so i could sleep and clear me out and that's all i'd had and i just looked at it and looked at the packet and i went oh no because it's contained pseudoephedrine and um, so then I had to, I went to Traff, who's our touring car doctor. Then I had to write to the MSA, who then write to the World Drug Council. And then six weeks later, I get a letter off the MSA saying, right, you've been found with an illegal substance in your system. Your heart sinks. You've admitted to having taken this substance. Your heart sinks even further. And but then they go on to like, because you've admitted it this time, you know, we're going to over, overlook it and you're okay but if we catch you again then you, you're going to be banned for the year so it makes you, it made me really sympathize with a lot of the athletes who get busted you know in gymnasts for pseudoephedrine because it's microscopic amounts in your body and which is no benefit and it was days before and they got me and they, they picked it up had exactly the same scenario with Rubens Barrichello when when I was at Jordan. He'd he'd got a horrible cold. He'd taken something to sort of you know ease the ease the symptoms. It was exactly the same scenario. He got got done for a drugs test, and and there it was. So he, basically, the he rule had, of thumb is anything you can buy over the over the counter, which don't. is non drowsy, is illegal. That's the yeah. rule of thumb. Yeah. Mm. So Dan, what about you? What would you say is your most uh, your most your most memorable race? Mm. Um. Good or bad, I've got I've got a couple. Um, the good, we'll start we'll start with the good. I mean, um, winning at Le Mans in in two thousand and seventeen was uh, was an amazing moment. I, I won there in the Crowe Cup support race. Um, so there was uh, Crowe Cup GB, Crowe Cup France. I think it was France. Um, 
and also like a mixture of like Italian and Benelux and stuff like that. Um, 63 cars started that race and and I won it on the last lap. So that was um, that was an amazing race to be part of. And also because it starts just before the actual main Le Mans event. Um, yeah, I've never seen a crowd that big. I've never raced in front of a crowd that big. Um, and, and the fact that the final lap is, is quite exciting for anyone who's not seen it. It's on YouTube. Um, and it kind of got went pretty viral after that. It, it, it sort of picked up pace even before I'd got home from, from the track. Uh, it was already doing its rounds of the internet. And I think it's, it's well over sort of 2 million views now, that video. Um, so that was quite cool to be part of and the fact that I won it. It was honestly, I was there watching it. It was absolutely brilliant. We were getting set up for TV to, to show the main event, but we all just got so, totally sidetracked watching it. And the fact, remind me, I can't remember who it was that you were battling, but it was a British driver. Who was it? Was it? As Dino Zamparelli was, was second um, on, in the end over the line. Um, there was a guy called uh, Rivera, I believe, who was an Italian driver. Well, I think it was uh, you and Dino were having the real ding-dong on the last lap, wasn't it? Yeah. By the way, as far as I was concerned, a Brit was going to win, which was marvellous, but it was a spectacular final lap. Yeah, and, it, was, it was cool. It was cool. And as I understand it, that, that race was partly instrumental in you getting the drive with Honda. Yeah, I think it, I think it was. Um, Obviously, I went down for an interview with with Dynamics and 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 you know sang my sang my own praises as much as I could and and they knew a bit about me as well and um and what I'd done but I think the clincher or certainly I've been told uh, by some of the guys in the team that having watched the video from from Lamont because the, the big question mark over me was not how fast I can drive a car it's can I can I race you know Porsche is not known for its racecraft really it's known as a qualifying formula. Um, and there actually isn't much overtaking or racing at all. Almost the opposite. Well, and Formula Four, you hadn't raced anybody, had you? Because you just I hadn't raced anyone. No, no. So it'd been a little while, really, and I was kind of unproven in that respect. But I think that video kind of, um, if anyone was in doubt, that that sort of silenced him a little bit. He just he just walked in the interview, Lou, and switched the video Press on play. and sat back. <laughs> he, I, I can remember he did get asked a direct question: Can you race? And, and he said, just because I qualify on pole and, and win from the front doesn't mean I can't race. And it was quite a good reply. <laughs> it was quite a good reply, actually. Yeah. Because you would have been did. in that meeting. Mm. He was indeed, the boss man. Um, so that was great. And then uh, two weeks before that, I actually uh, I, I finished second in Monaco, um, which was also an amazing uh, experience to, to have gone to Monaco my first at a time and to finish on the podium. Uh, just incredible, really, really amazing um, for myself and, and for my family and to stand on that podium, just just amazing. And the fact I'll, I'll probably never, well, I will never race at Monaco again. Um, so to have that one special memory of the place is, is, is truly great. So you're stood did, on the same podium, aren't you, as the, as the F1 drivers? You be? are, you are. And I did... And I, and I got a big pat on the back from from a few guys that day. Um, Derek Warwick was 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 sort of um, was was one guy who was quite close. Um, obviously, head of the BRDC at the time, and he he was there watching. And I had quite a lot of tweets from all different kinds of people that said that was you know to go to Monaco and most people go to Monaco the first time and finish about fifteenth and use it as a learning experience and come back the year after and do well. Um, and I, I did actually later find out that one guy did do better than, than me on their debut, but it was Mika Hakkinen. So I, um, I'll, let it, I'll let it go. Um, so that, yeah, they're, they're my two, two, two great races. Obviously, <laughs> I don't think I need to tell people about my worst, my worst experience. Um, it's a bit more. I was going to come on to that. 
Yeah, I mean, a bit more recent, obviously last year, uh, to lose the championship at Brands, without doubt, the, the worst experience uh, of my racing career, if not, if not my, my whole nice. life, really. It, my, I, everything crumbled that, that, that afternoon. And, and I've never been in shock before, I don't think. I've never, you hear people talk about shock um, and what it does to you, and I've never probably experienced it until that moment, because I didn't get upset or even know what was really happening until about 6 a.m. the next morning when I suddenly sort of started crying uh, on my own. I just, it just took so long to sink in that we could sort of, because it was such a weird day to go from being out of it really um, to have been a formality for Colin to win, to suddenly been back in it, to leading the championship, to be back out of it again, all in the space of about four hours. Um, bit of a whirlwind. And, and, and I, you know, I'm not over that at all really. It's, um, I'll come back stronger than ever i'm sure of it but there's every day something reminds me of how close i came to being champion and the truth is that if it, if it wouldn't have been me it would have been colin who would have had to live with the fact that he led the whole season and lost um, either way someone that sport someone's going to be going to be disappointed it i'm going to come back and uh, sorry i'm going to going to come back and talk more about that later on but I just want to pick up on a fact that I'm interested that you you listed Monaco there as as one of your most memorable races which was a race that you didn't actually win so what was your most memorable race win oh Le, Le Mans oh, sorry in, in touring cars in touring cars oh in touring cars um probably I mean the first one's always special isn't it you know I won a branch GP at the end of 18 that was that, that was an amazing moment and also to have Matt second that day was cool and then we did it again in race two so uh, it's like buses two come at once but probably my I mean I think I've had four touring car wins now um probably the the, the best one and the one that I'll, that I'll I'll have in my memory for a long time is is the one last year from from Brands GP that that race one win when it was in the rain um I, I won it on slicks from 12th on the grid and Matt was second on the wets from 13th on the grid. Um, it's not often that the guy wins on slicks and the guy in second <laughs> finishes on wets. Uh, what a topsy-turvy <laughs> race. And to do it when everything was on the line as well. Um, you know, you try to race for a championship, it's pouring with rain, you're on slicks. Um, it was, it was that, that was a cool race. And the fact that I think it was Rory Butcher finished second, no, third or fourth or something. And he was the last guy I passed on slicks. And about three laps later, he was about eight seconds behind, which showed kind of, just how good a job I did in, in those conditions to, to take the win. So I'm very proud of that one. And then I remember Barry. I remember Barry coming down the radio. You don't get lots of praise from Barry, Matt's engineer, who's um, obviously a major part of dynamics. But I look up to him very much. And, and he came down the radio and he, he said something like, "Just amazing job, you beauty," or something. And I knew I'd done well then. Once I got praise from Barry, I knew I'd done a good job. Matt, other than that, that win that you've all the wins that you've talked about. Are there any other? Um, any other special wins that, that spring to mind? Uh, the, the, obviously the diamond double, which I, I think all of us as drivers, um, which was the special anniversary race in, in touring cars in BTC, we didn't think anything of it. To me, it was just a longer race and slightly different tyre strategy. And, and yeah, it was just another, another event. And then when they sort of, I get, I'm, you know, I'm lucky. Again, it was mixed conditions, so it was it was wet on one half of the track and dry on the other half. And um, then Gao turned up with the biggest trophy out, and I couldn't believe it. I went, oh, <laughs> it is, it's quite special. Um, but it was cool to, to, you know, I'd had a, I've not had my 
um, win ratio hasn't been as good in the last few years. So yeah. to, to pull off one like that, I was, I was quite pleased with a little bit. Definitely one that will always be remembered, that's for sure. Let's bring in our guest now, shall we? He's a, a BRDC rising star with, um, with numerous wins across his junior career. Um, he scored his first British touring car triumph last year after a, a lights to flag victory at Knock Hill. Um, and he's racing a Honda Civic in the championship this year with MB Motorsport. It is, of course, Jake Hill. Welcome to you, Jake. Hi, Lou. How are you? Lo lovely. To I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Lovely to have you with us. Thank you. Um, we should probably get some, should we get the elephant in the room out of the way straight away? Um, I mentioned, I mentioned your win at Knock Hill, but that was actually the, the second time that you'd um, taken the chequered flag first, um, because the, that, that, there was that Alton Park win, in inverted commas, um, that actually ended up being taken away because... Yeah, I'll tip that out, basically. <laughs> I was going to say, are you going to say, yeah. or shall I? Lou, I was doing really well. I've written that off. I've, I've sort of, I've, I've been... <laughs> Going through months of psychological treatment to make, make me forget that. You've got over it now. You've just undone it. All the hard work. Sorry. Yeah, my bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, um, wasn't my uh, proudest moment, that's for sure. Um, but, you know, uh, I think Matt realises it was a pretty big mess up from my side. And, you know, I, I do apologise for it. But hopefully we've all moved on and, and we crack on with 2020. Oh, listen, we haven't brought you here to make you squirm, Jake. Don't worry. Matt's, no, Matt's... As, I said, as I said before, you know, we've all, um, we've all been there. We've all done it. And um, Alton Park's been a little bit of special for me <laughs> in that regard as well <laughs> at some point. Um, yeah, you're in good company there, Jake. So, but, you know, and Jake will know this full well. We all, it's, a, it's an emotional environment. You live, you live and breathe the whole thing. And so... And, and you know, as I've said to Dan before, it's you've got to try and not to take things personally out there. But sometimes you do take it personally, and um, because it, you you are on the line um, of what's you know what's safe, and you know we are all pushing the limits. And so sometimes the emotions just boil out, and that was that was one of those days they boiled out for me. But we're, we're all right further down the road, so we're fine now. So. That was one of those scenarios I could see it develop because obviously I'm standing there with the cameras in, in Park Ferme. Um, you know, Jake and all the team were over the moon. I was kind of thinking, how are we going to talk about this? Because I'm sure he ain't going to keep this win. And then we saw Matt approaching in the distance and he's not, he's not going to come in. He's not, he's not, he is going to, he is going to come in. He's, he's going to come in. All right, well, I just, we'll just roll on this guy, shall we see what happens? Did you ever expect him not to, Lou, really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, all, the t all the team was saying to me, don't go down. And I went, there was absolutely, I've learned, I've learned over the years, get them when they're in front of the camera. And <laughs> I was in, I was in, I was in the toker bus because obviously I get hauled up for that. Like, and Gao's in there, he says, why did you have to do it there in front of the camera in part for me? I said, Alan, don't you think that's why I did it there? You know, it's, you know, I want, you want to make a point when you're fired up, you want to make a point. And, um, was, was that actually a conscious thought going through your mind? Oh yeah, yeah, percent, yeah. <laughs> Look, I'll take it every time. I love nothing better than a bit. Of, well, I say I love nothing better. A bit of argy bargy between drivers in front of the camera just makes for great television. Can't be well, I've had a few runs of drama over the years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Reed is always good fat. You can wind him up good and proper. <laughs> Who's that? Anthony Reed. Ah, yeah. He's got, he, yeah, he blows his top very easily. <laughs> <laughs> 
Jake, let's talk, let's talk about the good things. Let's talk about that, that Knock Hill win last year. We were talking about sort of special, memorable moments um, with, with, with Dan and Matt before you joined us. That's got to be up there for you. Or would you go with the, the second place at, at Brands in the wet when you came from, from Fakenham or wherever it was to yeah. the second place? <laughs> um, yeah, it was, I suppose your first uh, touring car podium was, is always going to be a big highlight, but... It, yeah, it's massively overshadowed by your first win, to be honest. Especially, I think what, what made it even more special for me was the fact that it was Knock Hill, which was a circuit that I absolutely loved since the moment I first raced there in, in 2010. Um, but I'd, it was the only track on the touring car package that I'd never won at. I'd won at every other single track multiple times in... Uh, you know, in, in the other formulas, the lower formulas on the touring car package, but I'd never conquered Knock Hill, second, third, many times, but it was always one that got away. And obviously we'd had a pretty good uh, race one and two uh, at Knock Hill last year. And it just so happened that we got, we got pulled for pole um, in the reverse grid, which was fantastic. It was obviously the second time I've been pulled for, uh, for pole position. First time obviously being at, at Alton Park. Um, and, you know, for once we thought that actually today we have the car, maybe Alton Park, we didn't have it, but today, you know, we may be only a couple of tenths off of what the leaders are doing, but they now have full weight and I've got 10th place weight. So, that, you know, it's, it's on basically. And you know what? It just, it just felt good. You know, everything about that race was perfect. I, you know, managed both restarts in my eyes, pretty perfectly got a good jump on Josh and, you know, we managed to to take my first win. So yeah, it was. Uh, it, although I did try my best to throw it away on the last lap of the chicane, um, it was uh, it was still a pretty special moment for me. Tell me about the emotions of it, because what is it that's going through your head? Is it relief? I mean, it's obviously joy, but is there relief as well? Is it what's going through your head? I think the big the biggest part was relief, but not not for actually winning your first race, because although I'd sort of done it at Alton Park, you know, this was. This was a, a real one, and I've made no mistakes this time whatsoever. Um, and it, it was it was sort of a bit of payback for for myself after what happened at, at Alton Park, and to prove to everyone else that I can do it properly. Um, and you know, for me that was a, a big moment, and obviously it was also a crucial moment for me getting the drive that I've got this year. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm very grateful that it all paid off. What was the emotion in your first win, Dan? Because I, I, there was definitely an element of, I think you were putting pressure on yourself to get it, weren't you? And getting frustrated when you didn't. Yeah, yeah, I was. I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough one because it's, you know, I came into, into touring cars, into, into a team of, it was well-established, uh, one, one of the best teams in, in the paddock, huge amount of success, you know, replacing Gordon Shedden. Um, the pressure was on me from the start to perform and, you know, it was it was always going to take some learning. I was always going to have to. Um, it was I had so much to learn in such a short space of time, and I had to do it all publicly as well. I couldn't. There's no chance to hide away when you're in a team like Dynamics, unfortunately. Um, and and it obviously builds character, but there are times where you know you just want to learn the ropes a little bit more out of sight, but there's just no way of doing that. You know, if you have a if you have a bad day, it's instantly are you doing a good enough job? You know, is there somebody else in the wings that can, can be there? And 
you know, that's that's hard, really. It is, you know, I had I had the pull that Brands taken away from me on my debut, um, and 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 that was that was a bit of blow to a bit of pill to swallow because you only get one debut. I can't take that moment back, unfortunately. Um, and throughout the season, we had some good results, but the win had just escaped me. Um, Matt had had, uh, obviously, the win at Froxton. I, I had the first podium of the FK8, had it at Donington, so my second my second race. Um, Matt had the first win at Froxton, then went on to win the, the Darren Jubilee, obviously, which was mega. And it had kind of been building that season. You know, you'd read the press releases, and it's like, mm, when's Dan family going to win one? And the thing is, in touring car racing, I've only won four so far, and you know, I nearly won a championship. <laughs> so it's not—it's hard to win a race. Uh, Jake knows this. Matt knows this. The stars have to align. Really, you've got to be in a fast car at the right moment, with or without weight, depending on who's around you. Uh, you know, is it a race freak? A grid? You know, when it's maybe a reverse grid. Um, have you have you had a bad round and you've gone to the next race a bit lighter so you can get away? So many factors play into it. It's not just outright speed on the day. Um, and finally, the stars aligned for me at Brands GP, and I didn't just win one; I won the second one. But um, it wasn't. It was a fantastic moment. It was, uh, you know, the, the, the pressure fades away, uh, massive relief, and also to stand on a touring car podium is is a very special thing, and 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 it continues to be special. Everyone I've had since so. Um, and I hope I have many, many more. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's a very cool thing. And it's, it's great, you know, from, from the team perspective. Um, the team has been so supportive of me since I joined. And, you know, I have won lots of races over my career. But even when, even sometimes when maybe in yourself, it's, it's been a, a simpler win. Maybe back in the Porsche days, I had wins that were a bit simpler or come a bit easier. But when you see how much it means to the team, that's when it reminds you just how much it means. And, and you get caught up in that. And I love that. So you're getting all emotional about it, whereas Matt was just thinking, ka-ching, I've got a quarter of a millimetre back pocket. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean God, I, I wish I had. I wish I <laughs> yeah, quarter of a million. I'd actually be interested to ask Jake a question from my side, because... And the question is, how did you feel the day after your first win? Um, and I ask you that because I remember when I won at Donington and, and you've, you've had it tough. You know, you've had to come through the ranks and been in cars where you stand no chance of winning. And I was the same. And something you strive for for so long is when I did actually win a race, the euphoria on the day, I woke up the next morning and I went, well, now what? Yeah. And it was a massive low for me. And you, I really had to pick myself up. And, you know, I've, I've spoken to, you know, the championships are the same. You know, when I've spoken to, I've had Gordon and, and even Colin speak to me. And Colin's gone, well, it's different for you. A massive low because you're on such a high um, during the race and the championship. And you bottle up all those emotions. And Colin went to me, well, it's different for you because you're on the mainland. He says, I'm out of it over here. And he says, it's terrible the day after and the weeks after and the months after. I went, no, mate, that's exactly what it is. And I almost had to sort of coach them both to that's what it is. And you have to pinch yourself that you're lucky to do what you've done and, and, and go, right, what's next? And focus yeah. on the next race, whether you've got a chance or not. So I'll be interested in what Jake felt like because it's, the day after my first race was a massive anti massive low and you know i was sort of i had to sort of dig myself out of a bit of a hole after that yeah i mean obviously i i guess it's nowhere near as uh, straining as is going for a championship and winning a championship but you're right i mean you know i i'd done four years in touring cars and 
I had driven some awful cars and been in some quite, you know, ter- terrible, you know, I had to leave the championship in 2018 because I was hating it that much. And when you work for 10 years prior to that in juniors, G55s and Carrera Cup and all this sort of stuff to push and strive to get into what you love and you want to do, which is British touring cars, to then get there, do it, and then find out that you hate it that much, you'd rather never race a car ever again to then come back, you know, the following year and give it one last sort of go. And then out of that, win, you know, win your first race, it was a massive, for me, it was just a massive sort of, I am good enough. I do want to do it. And then once you have won it, you know, all that emotion was built up. And especially it was sort of made worse, if anything, by Alton Park, because I sort of did it, but didn't. You know, I, I felt that, you know, I knew that when I crossed the line, it wasn't mine and I didn't want it to be mine either because I'd done it the wrong way. But when I did it properly at Knock Hill, it was simply, you know, I was on, I was on the, the plane home and I was just thinking like, it's just, I don't know, I don't know what to feel. It was just so empty almost, you know, full of happiness. But at the same time, I'd strived for that for so many years and then I finally got it. And so for me now, obviously, the, the only thing sort of left that I feel I have to achieve is, is to win a championship. And, you know, the, the least I want to do in 2020 is win the Independence Championship for, for myself, for, for MB. And obviously, with, with a Honda, it will just be fantastic. I was going to say, you're in the right maker car now, mate. So that's right. Exactly, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I've never, I've never felt this confident. I, the last time I felt as confident as I do going into, going into a year was was 2010, you know, and to be honest, I felt like sort of no one could touch me in 2010. I thought that was it. I'm going to take the Jeanette Junior t- title. And, you know, we, we won everything. You know, we won half the races, took like six pole positions out of the 10 and, you know, another six fastest laps. And I still didn't do it. Tom just picked me to it. But the point was, is, you know, the confidence level going into a year had never, ever been as high, you know, since then as it is going into 2020, you know, stepping into the, the FK2 Honda is just like an absolute dream. And I've got what I feel is the best team around me to do it. And to be honest, that's all that matters. As long as I feel like I can do it, it doesn't matter whether anyone else, uh, you know, is, is maybe a little bit quicker or not, because I've, I'm pretty certain that I'll be, be able to sort of outdrive the other independence teams on the day. That's all that matters. I don't want to bring the tone down, but should we talk about the horrible races, the races that you haven't enjoyed? Let's talk about conditions, because how much does it impact you? What are the worst conditions, as in weather conditions, that you've ever raced in or ever had to race in, I guess? Um, for me, if, if I go further afield, again, Australian uh, Bathurst in, in the V8s out there, and I was in, did a few years in, with Holden, uh, with Paul Morris and co., um, I can remember one Bathurst, it was horrific. And you'd be doing, in those V8s, we'd be touching down Conrad Strait in the dry 190 mile an hour and the wet 170. And you're getting wheel spin in fifth and sixth gear down the straight. And not nice, not just the thing lighting up and you feel about the, the back going light, the thing snapping right and left. And Jason was down there as well. He was, he was partnering Brocky um, then. And Jason goes, oh, I can't do it, I can't do it. He says, I just, just, I can't get, you know, over the top of the mountain. I said, top of the mountain, I'm not a problem with it. It's down, just keeping the thing in a straight line. It was horrific. Um, and I, I didn't enjoy it. It's one of those races you don't enjoy, but you've got to do. In, in Britain, we did a race in, 
I think it was about 97, 98, and we were at Silverstone on the, the international circuit then, which incorporated bridge, mm-hmm. and the heavens opened, and it was, we're all sat on the grid, and they go, well, they've got to cancel the race. There's so much, Silverstone is probably, it is the biggest and best circuit in the UK, but because of its flat nature and it's on an old airfield, it's probably about the worst circuit for aquaplaning when it really starts to rain, as MotoGP found out. Um, and I think tennis had been canned that day, cricket had been canned that day, something else had been canned that day. So when you talk about television, the, the, the radio call came, we've got to run. You've got to run because the, there's no more stuff for TV. Nothing else happening anywhere. And we were going, we almost went out, all the drivers went on strike not to do it, but we, we ran and that was, it was terrifying. I can remember I was going in a straight line and then I was going backwards and I was going sideways and I don't know what happened, but I, don't, I can't really even know, remember if I finished. So you do get proper scared? Oh, yeah, <laughs> just a bit. I mean, I, I know it sounds like a daft one, but I think people think that like racing drivers, well, they can't get scared because if you get scared, how can you race? When you're doing 100 mile an hour plus, you know, you can be up to, say, at Thruxton, 150 mile an hour plus. And the thing, Thruxton's bad for aquaplaning. You know, and the thing just wants to snap sideways at 130, 40 mile an hour. It's not a, a believe me, it's not a pleasant experience. I believe you. Um, and so, no, I don't. I, get, I do get pretty scared at those points. What about what about you, Dan? Scariest race? Um, you know what? I can't really. I can't. Stop, I don't have the best memory. I'll be honest. But I um. I don't get. I can't remember. No, 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 no. I definitely do. And and there are moments in the car where you, you know, you you eyeballs are on stalks, your heart's in your mouth and you're just sort of hoping you come through it. Um, and it's one of those moments where it all happens so quick depending on what you're doing. So, you know, yet in the rain, it's bravery can really help you in the rain in terms of lap time. But also it's a fine line between being brave and being the hero or the zero. If, yeah. if you, and we had that at the, at, the, at the tire test, you know, I went out early on the second day morning and, and I said on the radio, I was like, what are we, what do you want to know about being out here? Because the harder I go, the faster we'll go, but also the more likely we are that we, you know, we end up putting this on the back of the truck if we're not careful. Because you can't, just being brave is, is silly. You know, it has to be controlled bravery and you've still got to uh, have a bit of self-preservation there as well. I mean, I've been in, there are, there are times where you're in the race and, and, you know, in the rain and your heart's in your mouth, but you know everybody else's as well. And everyone's just doing the best to to pick their way through. And and, and the thing is, in those conditions, usually when I've been in them, uh, everyone around you is, is is being sensible too, because you are a, a fine line from being on the track and being off it. And 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 a lot of the time in those conditions, if you can pick your way through at a sensible speed, you can sometimes come through and have a have a good result. It's it's about minimising mistakes most of the time, not about being just the fastest guy out there. Um, speaking about being scared, though, there was. I think it was last year, it was actually, no, yeah, here we go. Last year when obviously it all happened with, with Jake and Matt, I was about seventh or so on the road and I came, came round turn one at Alton, um, basically looking at a cloud of smoke and it was one of the moments where you go, what do, I, what do I do now? Do I break or do I keep going? And by the time you've had that thought, you've already gained 100 metres closer to where you want it to be. And I remember going through and just, I've still got the onboard actually, there's just carnage, you know, like Matt's span one way and Tom Ingram's on the grass the other side and, and, and I'm on the grass now because I've, I've lost sight of the track. And you sort of bounce your way down the track and gather it all up and think, God, that could have gone anywhere. But 
that's just that's just the way it is. And you have that feeling every lap in the rain because you're basically just driving into a wall of water most of the time. So you're just hoping things are still where they were last time you saw them. What's your scariest moment, Jake, other than Matt approaching you in Park Fomo at Norton Park? That's scary. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think actually, I can't remember if it was 2017 or 2018, but it was the uh, British Touring Car around at Donington. I think it was the last race and it was just so wet. Um, it was the wettest touring car race I'd ever done. And, you know, I just remember going through Crane. I had a terrible day and I was starting like 20th or something. And uh, I remember going through Craners and everyone just went straight on. Old Hairpin, um, everyone just went straight on through the gravel and, you know, Tom was was stuck in the gravel and a few others were just bouncing across and you know I remember coming down into Craner and it just you just lock the fronts up immediately and you're, you're breaking you know a good few meters before you're supposed to and you just cannot see a thing there's cars everywhere and you just think I just don't know when I'm going to get hit or when I'm going to have a crash I just can't control the car uh, and I can't control what everyone else is doing because they can't control their car either you know it's just a massive mess um, and that was that was probably the scariest time I've had in a in a touring car, you know, actually driving in poor weather. Um, it was, yeah, it's just it's just such a insecure feeling, you know, when you're you're flat out down the back straight and you literally can't see anything other than the bonnet of the car. That's it, you know. And then you just wait for people's brake lights to come on, um, and you just sort of guess, really. Yeah, that's that's yeah. the best you can do. You physically can't you can't see any markers that you had or. You know, you can't see any other cars. You just see brake lights come on eventually. Um, and there's times where you don't even see that. So, yeah, it can be a bit messy. But for me, that was probably the worst one weather-wise that, that I'd ever had to drive in, I think. Yeah, I was in my mouth watching it. So, honestly, my, my, I bow down to you all for actually having the, having the courage to sit in the cars and drive through it. Jake's right there. You know, you, a lot of the times it, happens, it all happens too quickly. So you almost get a, a cold rush go over you which if you make it through that corner you're you're away again and it's gone again uh, but you yeah. you do get that i mean i i remember another one i remember was the world cup women in super touring era in i think it was 95 and we all went to paul ricard and there's 55 cars on the grid and the the length of the straight there was it was the full length of the paul ricard straight so in the super touring car you were doing over 160 mile an hour down there and um, it was carnage and I can remember going down this straight on the first lap three abreast and I'm next I'm on the right hand side and then Gabriele Tarquini was in he was in a Honda and the Hondas were all, always amazing engines and he comes up because they've got concrete on the edge of the circuit rough concrete it was all broken up and Gabriele comes at 160 mile an hour up, up the concrete off the track and then as we get three quarters of the way up the straight, he decides he needs to get back on the track. So he starts swerving his car at you and banging door handles at 160 mile an hour, which, I mean, that was one of those cold rush moments as well, I remember. So uh, that, was, that was pretty cool. Is there, is there a race that you, what race that you could pick that you would say is the least enjoyable race of your career? Probably. I definitely could, yeah. Go on then, who's going first? For, for me, first. for me, it was the uh, the Croft round at 2018, you know, because um, that was the moment where I decided to leave leave the championship and I was just hating it so much. Being, Why were you hating it? Tell us uh, what you were hating about it. Mixture of, of 
uh, of the team and, and the way things were run and, and also the, the car really, you know. Um, it was just such a, a bad mixture and it was just horrible. You know, I'd, I'd never felt so out of place um, in all my life really. And at the same time, you know, like I said before, you, you strive so hard to do to do this championship and to, you know, get the funds together, etc. To then think, actually, I'd literally rather never drive a racing car again than have to jump in this car for one more round. And, you know, we did the last race and it was just uh, the most horrible feeling driving all the way home, especially to Kent from Croft. You know, it's a long way. And, uh, yeah, just feeling so upset, so sad. When did you make the decision? During the day or...? Did yeah. you go into the weekend knowing it was going to be your last race? or uh, You know, I, I went up with Dad and he was driving. I was sat in the passenger seat. And I was just sort of looking out the window on the way up on Friday. And he just said, oh, you know, you're all right. I said, no, I don't want to do it. And just, you know, I just don't want to do it. Simple as that, you know. And, um, you know, as soon as uh, race three came, that was it. Shut the door on, on that sat and said, I'm <laughs> Either I'm never getting in a racing car again or, or, you know, I'm never jumping in this car again, that's for sure. And Yeah, so it was, uh, that for me, that was my worst feeling race-wise. What was yours, Matt? Um, probably you'd, you'd have to turn the clock back a long way to 94. I was in the Mazda with David, David Leslie. And on the last podcast, you know, Jason mentioned about... Um, the political side and some drivers being very political and some environments being very political and one the car wasn't the weapon of choice and we were on Yokohama's that year which were not the weapon of choice either and it was a tough year but the team the way it was run with Mazda it was it was horrible and I really I, I can sympathize with the way you know Jake comes across there and, and he speaks because I just just you feel bad you don't want to be there and okay i ended up having a massive accident but it wasn't it wasn't a pleasurable environment to be in that year but you've i always think if you there's an old saying i use and i say to people um a calm sea doesn't make a skilled sailor so if you drive a bad car you're in a bad environment if you can get through it you become a stronger person and a, a wiser person for that afterwards so I, I always think the, the tough times I had in the 90s and the tough times I had fighting Jason and that has made me the person I am today. And I think you're more rounded, more sensible-ish. Um, <laughs> Let's not go too you know, far. just got more experience and to call on. And I think once you've driven a bad car and there are bad cars out there, you know, horror stories which just try to kill you, um, when you get in a good car, like Jake's jumped in, in the FK2 this year, suddenly you go, oh, it's like putting on a great fitting suit when you've been, you know, on, on real ill-fitting hand-me-down clothes for so many years. It's, um, <laughs> the difference is, is unbelievable. And it makes you just enjoy, enjoy life, enjoy the racing again. Good analogy. I like that. It's like a pair of lovely Labutan when you've been wearing flip-flops all summer. Possibly not <laughs> the right analogy for you, but Dad, what about what about yours least enjoyable? I was my head was going to to brands last year, but actually that was all going really well until the last lap and a half that, that didn't happen. Yeah. Um God, I've got too many to count, I think. There's so many. I was just thinking then when I was just listening to to Jake and Matt. I mean, I've been, you know, racing a long time now. Um and I did so much in carts as well, so much back in the early days when it was just me and my dad and my uncle and 
God, there were days that were just terrible and you'd have the journey home. And, and that's when my, my dad and my uncle were, were mechanicking for me. And, you know, you'd see how hard they worked and, you know, it's just the time we'd spent away from home and the, the money we, we invested, just have a really bad weekend or a bad day. And I've always, um, it's kind of been, been a running thing that I've always said, like motor racing is about 90% character building. And, and, and that's true. Um, we always used to say, it's not a bad day, it's a character building day. And I've had loads of them throughout my career. Um, the truth is the good times make up for the bad tenfold. They, they do. And that's why we all love it. And we're addicted to it because the highs are huge. Um, but it's, it's tough. I mean, I remember picking out a few, um, I had a racing carts in 2006 at a, at a event, it was the final race of the British Championship and I was so slow. I was about two seconds off the pace and I was last by a long way. Um, and we had all kinds of engine problems that we couldn't fix. Um, and it was just the most torrid time having been there for days. Um, and after that, I really thought that's about it. I just don't want to continue anymore. And I went back there the year after actually in a different category and won the first round of the British Championship at the same track shows you what a difference a few months can make. So that kind of is my first eye-opener of how mechanical the sport is, that you don't overnight become a bad driver. It's not, don't work like that. If you can drive well, you can drive well. So you don't have these peaks and troughs. So usually if there's, if you're struggling that badly, there's, there's, there's more to it than that. And that was good for me to, to go through that experience. Uh, I had once where I went to, I raced in Germany, and my dad drove through the night from England to Berlin to watch me race. Uh, and I crashed straight away. <laughs> and, and we had to drive all the way back. And I remember just, I remember feeling so bad about it that he, he basically decided, because he does this sort of thing, he's, he's, you know, a massive, massively supportive of me, but he loves it. As much as he downplays it these days, he's still completely addicted to the sport. And, um, he drove all the way to yeah, all the way to Berlin. I think we were racing near Berlin, Oschersleben. I think it was. He drove all the way there in the night and then watched me race, and I crashed within about the first two laps. And anyway, the, the ride home was very quiet. I bet it was. <laughs> um, and then obviously, yeah, but none, none have left a, a lasting mark. Obviously, like last year's brands, because yeah. um, it was such I a great you. weekend, as you, as you said, it did start so well um, to, to win the opening race at a weekend. Um, you know, put myself into championship contention, especially when I was so far behind at like mid-season. I was like 60 points behind at, at, at Snare or something. You know, it was, we were coming, but it was, could, how on earth we ever got that close is, is testament to how well we did as a team. Um, and it was a shame the way it ended. But as I said, it would have been a shame for Colin to lose as well when you've led the whole season and you've been the guy everyone's chasing to lose at the end. He would have been distraught about that as well. So. The way it happened um, can't be changed, but we can move forward. One thing I've never asked you, did you know that was coming? Because Tim Harvey was calling quite a few laps beforehand, look at Dan's, you know, brakes, the discs are glowing. The, the, were you getting messages from the team there? Were you getting any feel through the pedal? Did you know it was coming or? Um, no, I, basically I, I knew I was in trouble when the, when the brakes started to go wrong. Now, I've had that a couple of times in, in touring cars, but it's never, it's only ever gone a bit soft. And that's a warning that the brakes are getting a bit warm. So you start to take some, you start to brake a bit earlier with less pressure, wind it to the back a little bit, um, get out from the airflow. And usually, you should, well, every time it's happened to me, 
you pump the pedal up before the braking zone and you survive to the end. And you think, well, that was, you know, brakes weren't great. I put that in my report, but we got it through. Um, this time, um, you know, Brands GP isn't really a, I wouldn't say it's a heavy brake circuit, really. We only really stamp on the brake at, at, at Druid. Um, the rest of it's quite, quite um, a momentum circuit out the back. Um, so I've done well to survive the opening laps, you know, the mayhem that is touring car race free. Um, and, and, and we were in a good place. And then I did start to feel that the brake was going a bit softer. Um, and I tried to do everything I could to, to use it less or to protect it. And it wouldn't stop getting worse. It just deteriorated and deteriorated and it never came back. And I did say to the team with a few laps to go, I'm in trouble here and um, really, really struggling. And, and the next minute I pressed it and, and there was nothing there. And, and that's the first time I've had brake failure um, in a racing car. And I tell you what, it's, ever, it's ever. just in, in a racing car ever, yeah. Um, it's, it, it is, it's a very scary feeling. It, I think I think brake failure is, as a racing driver is something that will happen to you eventually if you do it long enough. And it's something that it's certainly a scary thought to know that that's coming. Um, and it never happened to me before. But yeah, I tell you what, when you press the brake and, and it goes to the floor, uh, yeah, your heart hits your hits your mouth. But the, what I'd done is because I'd, I'd hit as I hit the brake and realised that the brake wasn't there, I'd obviously panicked and hit it harder. Uh, still nothing there. But I've hit it that hard now. I've kind of caught the throttle pedal at the same time. So no, I'm not just braking. I'm accelerating towards my own accident. <laughs> um, and it was just obviously it was all over so quickly. Um, massive shame. I mean, I'm, I, I say it's uh, not a day goes by that I don't think about it. And but what could I, I don't know if I don't think there's anything I could have done different no, to what that's I did. The thing. I, do you know what I have to so. say? My that is probably my least favourite interview of the entire season is going to get a word with the bloke who's just finished second in the championship. Mm. Uh, and I was I was amazed is the wrong word, but I was so impressed with the way that you handled yourself then because I think that must be the most difficult thing to have to talk about. However, I do now know it's because you were in shock. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I was 100% in, in shock. Um, uh, I, 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 I kind of still thought it was we were going to go race again at some point and, and, I, uh, and I was going to win because I hadn't thought about winning the championship right until the point of pole before the last race when I thought, coins at the back, I'm in the middle, be sensible and, and you'll be all right. You know, no heroics, no need for anything daft and... Um, and then to have, have, a, have a failure. I mean, people say it was better that it was a failure than my fault, but I don't know, is it? I've had 59 other races and never had a mechanical failure. Um, yeah, it's a real funny one. It is. And uh, like I say, I think about it a lot, but I can't change it now. Uh, I've got to, got to pick myself up, got to move on. I've got a great team. I've got a fast car. And I'll have more opportunity. The big thing about it for me is that it's probably just a sign that this championship does not let you become champion easy. You have to go, you have to earn your, earn your stripes. And I had a good year one, a better year two, and I've learned so much. I mean, God, I mean, we can all sit here and talk about opportunities missed. Um, and everyone's got a story on this grid, everyone. Um, you know, Andrew Jordan obviously thinks he'd have been champion if he hadn't had that crash at Donington. And that's fine, I, you know, he might have been, but it's hard to predict the future that far in advance. Obviously for me, it was only a lap to go. <laughs> so, yeah. so for me, I, I was going to be champion. The, the, the cards had been dealt and it was kind of done. And I guess that, that hurts. But um, I will get more chances um, and, and it will stick. It will stick yeah. eventually. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy that obviously I'm still, I'm in such a great car and such a great team. And 
only two years in as well. I've still got so much to learn. You know, like I say, I did learn a lot year one, learned a lot year two, and in year three is my plan to put it all into, into practice. Let's bring in some, some questions from some of the fans that have sent in. So, um, Emma, no, let's go to Kaz on, on Twitter. What do you remember about your first ever race? Is your memory that good, Matt? Oh, so, sorry, you're talking to me. I've um, talked to all of you, but we'll start with you. Um, I remember my, my first race. It, it, no, I can remember it well. And um, it taught me something as well, because it was in uh, Fiestas in the late 80s, at the Fiesta, Ford Credit Fiesta Championship. And it was the one make championship to be in. So there was 60 cars trying to qualify. So, and it was the old Snetterton the old layout uh so in qualifying they used to have odds and evens and then the the top 25 cars would go straight through to the main race and the the bottom 35 cars would go into a qualification race and i qualified third on the grid for the qualification race so about sort of mid-pack um and I'd never done a star, I'd never done anything before, and it was it was the old it was the old three two three grids which we use at Goodwood. Um, so it's everything's very compact. And um, anyway, the the lights went out. We went down to the first corner. Usual one mate madness as everyone's driving into each other. And we just then you went through two corners. You're onto the long rivet straight. I come out the second corner and find myself in the lead with thirty some odd cars behind me, all in the crocodile. So we get halfway down the straight and the nerves start to kick in. So my foot, your foot's buried into the floor. Get three quarters <laughs> way down the straight, my legs starts to shake. My right leg starts to shake with nerves. And it starts to shake so violently, my foot comes off the throttle. <laughs> and I go from first to 10th. <laughs> and so we didn't have radios or anything like that in those days or anything. So, but my dad who was there, obviously heard it over, could hear it over the tannoy. So one of the, the last thing, well, the first sights I saw coming across the, the, the you know, the start finish line at the end of lap one was my dad shaking his fist. And I, you know, it's a sight I had to get used to pretty quickly because I was going to sit a few more times in my career. But I, I managed to get up into the top five and qualify for the main race where I think I, I did something similar again. But um, yeah, that was, that was my first race. Um, and it, That's it was not bad though to be, have been leading your first race. I'd take that. Yeah, not for very long, a couple of corners. <laughs> what do you remember of yours, Dan? Um, yeah, quite a lot. Mine was, mine was really good, actually. I, um, my first ever car race was in uh, British Formula Ford, I started in 2009. Um, and it was an odd one because I, in testing, in testing, we weren't quite, throughout the start, you know, the, the earliest part of the season, uh, when you sort of seeing you know, you're going to just, just uh, not track days, but you're going to test days. Uh, and you're sort of bumping into some of your competitors, but it's not an official thing. You're just kind of there, there as well. And, in the, you know, when you do the lap times, I was close, but I wasn't that close. You know, I was, I was a rookie in my first ever, ever year. So I was maybe a second off the pace or something like that. Uh, I was in the, I was in the uh, scholarship class, which is the, the class below the main class. You still score points, but it's just, it's a bit like how we're... Um, uh, you know, the John Sears Trophy. Um, it lets you score points within a, a race, basically. And I, um, when it actually came to the qualifying for the race, I qualified second, which was weird, which was weird. Suddenly, I, I didn't, I didn't go any faster. Everyone else just slowed down a lot. 
and, and that was kind of a lesson in that, that testing is not always what it seems. Um, I think some of the guys have been running a little bit sort of under the weight and, and maybe not to the rules to sort of get themselves up the timesheet. And then suddenly they all come back to where I was and I was second, which I was amazed at. Uh, and I finished third in my first ever race. Um, and I raced some really good guys as well. Uh, Joseph Newgarden. Um, I, I overtook Joseph Newgarden into the chicane. Uh, he's now two-time IndyCar champion. <laughs> so how our careers diverged. Um, you know, amazing, really. Uh, it was it was a cool weekend. Uh, I had two podiums. Oh, no, I had third and two fourths, I was, um, over the course of the weekend. And it was just, it was great. It was, uh, so, and after that, I, I was, the speed was there throughout the season. I made a lot of mistakes and crashed a lot and general formula four things that go on. Um, you know, no, back then it was no wings, slick tyres, the cars were a handful, proper hitch pattern gearbox, you have to use a clutch and all that sort of stuff. So they were, they were real good cars and, and certainly taught you so much about driving. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a good season, but yeah, that was my first, my first race. What was yours like, Jake? Did you, I'm interested to know actually, did you get a sniff of a podium or an actual podium? Because I'm wondering whether that makes a difference, your experience of your first race as to how enthusiastic you are about carrying on. Because if I got, if I was tugging around at the back, quite frankly, I'd, I'd think, <laughs> racing, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, well, I did, uh, I did the Janetta Junior Winter Series in 2008. Um, so it's two round, two round series at Rockingham and at Snet. And uh, yeah, it was it was Rockingham was the first one, and I finished third on my uh, on my debut. So no, it was really good. Um, drove for for Toll Bar Racing, which I went on to do pretty much all of my Janetta uh, stuff with for over the was to come the next three years. Um, and yeah, I managed to managed to finish third in my in my first race. I was even leading it at one point, um, but then uh, the, the experience of the guys that had done it all year sort of took over and. And they finished first and second, but um, yeah, chuffed a bit, you know, third third place, and I just immediately got the buzz for it. Really, I was so much weirdly, I was so much better in a car than I was in a cart. You know, when I was, I did like a, I did one year of karting when I was thirteen uh, in a in a Minimax Rotax, and, and that was it. You know, straight into a Genesta Junior. My dad always thought that, you know, doing too much karting can sort of take away or, or, or rather introduce too much of the karting style before you jump into a car um and i guess it worked so i seem to be quite a good yeah, driver in a car so um yeah so for me i went straight into cars in, in 2008 for the winter series and and got on the podium so yeah chuffed to bits other than the winning bit what is the best part of a race for each of you for, for me uh, the start uh, i think on. I just I just love the start of the race, you know. Um, even it's and it's just g'd up now more in touring cars, especially when, you know, we we all engage our sort of uh, start mode, if you like, and you know, there's pops and bangs and flames, and you know, you're all just waiting for that red light to to go out. And you know, for me, that's just the ultimate buzz, you know. I mean, obviously, winning the race and everything and finishing the race in a good position is also good, but. You know, I, I can't imagine what it's going to be like. This is this is the longest period for me, I guess, for some, for Dan and, and Matt as well, period without starting a race. You know, we haven't done a race. I haven't done a race since the last round of touring cars. Um, yeah, we, don't, we don't have to start yet. Yeah, I, I didn't do one at Snet, and I was really gutted because I really wanted to just light it up. But, um, you know, it was, uh, for me, that's my favourite bit. So... I just cannot wait to to do that on. We'll, we'll do one FP1, won't we, on on Saturday? Yeah, yeah, you'll you'll get a chance, yeah. 
So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Just to give it give it a good send off the line again. Is that the same for you, Dan? The start? Um, yeah, probably. I think uh, my favourite part of the weekend, I think I've said before, is actually qualifying. I, I get more nervous before qualifying than I do before the start of a race. Um, I, I love qualifying. It's kind of my favourite my favourite part of the whole weekend, just because it's it's you. It's the best you can be. It's it's, it's you versus the track. Um, you know, as long as you deliver your bit, and 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 it's kind of the. I, I actually, the, the, it's the first one as well. You know, the Donington one this year because everyone starts with no weight, and that is like the scalp you want to know that on any on the, on the day without weight, everybody turned up to the max. You were the best guy, and I, and, I, and I love trying to be that because it's um, you know, when the car's on the edge and you give it absolutely everything, and there's nothing left in the tank. That's that that's that's the buzz I love. Um, and, 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 and I tend to be all right at it as well. But the, 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 yeah, the start of the race is, is second to that for me. Um, as Jake says, you know, you sat there in 29 with nutters around you and, um, you know, you know that life's about to go out and you're going to charge towards turn one and who's going to blink first sort of thing. It's, um, there's nothing like it. It's, it's completely addictive. Um, and the weird thing is, at the time when you're sat in it, it's so ner- you are so nervous, your stomach's turning in knots. Um, and you think, why do I put myself through this? And then, you know, this, the weird thing is, the second the lights go out, I've said this before, you can, you can get into a race car, you could be desperate for the, for the toilet to need a wee, or you could, feel a bit, you could be feeling a bit ill. But the second the engine starts and the lights go out, it's just forgotten. And the only thing that you focus on is, is what you're doing. It is so consuming in that respect. So one, so, and a half, one and a half votes for the start, one vote for qualifying. What gets your vote, Matt? Um, well, I'm a, I'm a big fan of... Um, I can see where the lads are going with that, but it's a, motorsport is a massive team game. You know, Lewis Hamilton's good, but he's only good as good as he is because there's 1,200 people at Brackley and Mercedes F1 doing an amazing job, an amazing job behind him. And it's the same for us with the Hondas. And for me, probably the biggest buzz is if you do well, you get on the podium or do win a race, coming in and seeing the looks on all those guys' faces because you've done it together. And that's that's probably the buzz. I, and the lads will probably relate to that a bit because that's what's special. It, I went, you know, as I mentioned in previous podcasts, I spent about 10 years on and off down in Australia. You know, and I've got some fantastic friends down there and, and people, but none of my family or close friends wandered on what one year went down there for a, for a few weeks. Uh, and it was great having them there because it's all about sharing the experience, isn't it? And, and doing it together. And that's, that's probably the real buzz I get. What about the best race you've ever... Because you're all race fans. You've got to be race fans to, to, to work in, in the business. What's the best race that you've ever watched that you weren't competing in? Could be anything. Could be two wheels, because I know you love two wheels, Matt. Four wheels. Um, it, it, it would be one that I competed in. It would be the final BTC race of 92. Um, with the, the Clennons, Soper, Hoy, Harvey. You know, that was just pantomime genius. <laughs> it was, for a race fan, and I was in it. I was involved in it all. But um, I think that's one of the races which put British touring cars on the map. Um, you know, it, it, it catapulted the whole series and into a, onto another level. Uh, Tim Harvey's been dining out on it ever since. 
Yes. <laughs> what about you, Dan? You know what? I'm just trying to think. Actually, I mean, there's, I really can't. Um, I can't really think of it. I mean, there's there's so many, isn't there? There's been so many sort of great finishes. Um, well, do you know what? Interestingly, I preface this with saying we're all race fans, but are you a race fan? Do you like watching racing or do you just yeah, like doing yeah. it? No, I do. Yeah. I do. I do. I do like watching it. Yeah, I think I think that's true. I think not everyone has to be a... a, a, a you enjoy doing it often, you know, sometimes um, more than the actual watching of it or vice versa. Some people, I think, prefer to watch things than they do actually take part in it themselves. You know, that's just depends who you are. Yeah, I am a race fan. Uh, not as diehard as I used to be, though. Certainly not with the Formula One stuff. It's sort of turned me off a little bit these last few years. It's all become a little bit too technical and a little bit too. Uh, I don't know if there's much sport left anymore in Formula One, which kind of is a bit of a shame. Um, I mean, one a few years ago, that was, you know, when when Porsche won the um, 2015, when Porsche won one one with uh, Nick Tandy in the car. That was that was that was really great because I was not on it. I was um, in Porsche then. Nick was had been sort of quite involved in my career up until that point and to see someone go from mini stocks or whatever it is racing around in the dirt to winning at Le Mans with Porsche is quite an amazing story um so that that was quite that that was quite a cool win and then I think the Toyota when Toyota lost was it a couple of years ago on the last lap where they ran out of fuel yeah something like that I mean how can you race for 24 hours and then come within half a lap or something that's just, you know, that's what the sport really is at its best, I think, when you have them stories. What about you, Jake? Um, so I've got a couple of answers to this, really. I mean, obviously, I do quite a lot of historic stuff now, um, especially in the Masters series. And I think, again, I, I was in it and, you know, it was me fighting for the league. But the, the, the show we put on, I think, was just unreal. And it was actually my 2018 uh, Silverstone Classic win when I was in a Lotus Land 26R fighting against... Huffy in a, a uh, E-type and Andy Wolf in a Cobra. And, you know, it was such a David, David and Goliath story, you know, the little car versus the 600 horsepower monsters. And we were just toing and throwing constantly. Um, so, yeah, that was 100% the most entertaining race I'd been in. But as a sideline, as a fan, um, yeah, I've been to Le Mans a few times with Dad when Dad was commentating on it for Eurosport. And I just don't think there's, there's a better race in the world, really, than the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Um, it is my absolute dream to do, to do it once, even just once, you know, it would be amazing. It wouldn't even matter whether I was in a LMP2 car or LMP1 or GT car, I just have to do it at some point. But the experience that you get from going to Le Mans and seeing the, especially through the night, you know, sort of one or two o'clock in the morning when it's all quiet and, uh, you know, you just hear the sound of the cars going through, it's just, ah. Uh, nothing beats it for me and you know as a, as a fan which you know there was a, a point in my career where I wasn't racing at all in sort of 13 and 14 and uh you know it was just watching stuff mainly and you know went back to Le Mans in 13 and, and watched it with dad and yeah it's just such a such an amazing experience loved it I can genuinely say, obviously, I get to sit and watch you guys when you're, when you're out racing. We have our little presentation there. So I'm kind of backstage with Steve. We've got our, our TV where we can see the pictures. We've got our monitor with the timings on. And, and Steve is a little bit more reserved. But I'm, I'm regularly jumping up and down and shouting at the television, shouting at individual drivers. Don't you uh, drive? You'll get in there. And I think the, the manner of the racing in, in the British Touring Car Championship. I mean, some purists might say we've got reverse grids and all of that. I don't give a damn. It's just exciting. So were you shouting? Alex Albon or Lewis then Lou? 
Was I shouting at or for? Yeah. I'm, oh, I was, I'm, I'm sorry, Lewis. I was going for Albert. I was like, Get yeah, I was, yeah, I, 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 I like him. I like him. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. a brilliant story. Listen, we've always come to the finish, but there's, there's one thing I've got to ask about, not related to racing, but Dan, I know you've been doing some filming for um, Honda recently with their, uh, the, the new Honda E you've been driving in London. Would you like to tell us the story about getting stopped? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have, I have been um, uh, doing some work with Honda recently. We've been filming a, a Honda E um, sort of social advert, which is it's just it's been great, really. It's been um, it's kind of my first experience with a full electric car, um, and the idea was to sort of to, to just to get my feedback about it, what it is, what's it like as a not as a as a Honda man, just as a as a general uh, someone who's, who's got an interest and a passion for cars. So. We uh, we had two days driving it around London and around Twickenham where I live, and I tell you what, it's a great little car. It is such good fun. Um, it's one of those cars that's incredibly quirky, and um, and kind of, you can't help but smile actually when you're in that car because everyone that you pass is smiling back at you, like they want to know what it is and talk to you about it. And um, it's weird that your cars have that reception, but but that one certainly does. We actually had a guy who pulled over. Uh, got out of his car and to come over and talk to us about it, um, asking what it was and where he could where he could find out about it. So it's a cool car, but um, yeah, in London on on the second uh, the first day it was we were filming. It was I'd, I'd been given the car on my own to go and do a little bit of a piece of camera, um, and uh, Nick from Honda had been in the back and he'd been on a conference call in the back while I'm driving around in the front. Um, and I think to be honest, he started to feel a bit sick. So as you would, because I'm constantly doing U-turns in the centre of London. And um, and also, if you've never been in an electric car, it's got loads of torque. So that instant acceleration you get from like zero to 40, it's like being on a roller coaster. So any time I could, I was kind of like just pinging it, pinging it between two points and, and feeling the wave of electric torque. So I think he got a bit tired of that, to be honest. Um, and, and next minute, I saw the blue lights behind me. I thought, oh, here we go. I've made an illegal U-turn or something. And I got pulled over, and um, <clears throat> and and the, the the officer came to the car and said, "Oh, um, with you know," I said, "Oh, what have I done? I'm I'm I'm, I'm not very uh, I'm not usually one to get in trouble with the law." So I was a bit like, "Oh God, here we go." Creeping shaking, at the start, shaking a bit, yeah. And um, yeah, it wasn't anything I'd done actually. It found out I was uninsured, which was a bit of a bit of a shock. It's not like the Honda Motor Company to make a mistake like that. Anyway, it was all quickly resolved. Um, obviously, it wasn't short. It's just that Honda has such a big policy in how they do it that, you know, it, it kind of hadn't shown up yet. And it's such a brand new car. It was only kind of brought into the country last week. So it just hadn't shown up on their sort of... He was probably just nosy, wanted to have a look. <laughs> Tell you what, yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, the mistake I made was that there's a... One of the guys doing the film has got an absolutely top spec rs6 audi um so we went around i said look the guys around the corner let's just go see them and sort this out anyway as soon as they rocked up he's got some number plates on that maybe aren't quite standard and the police officer immediately was like let's get them off let's you know here's uh let's talk about giving you a fine for them so i was like oh god i shouldn't have brought him around here <laughs> um but yeah it was fine it was it was it was a good you know it was good fun um the guys took it well, and uh, and off we went. But yeah, it's a cool car, so hopefully that'll be uh, that'll be out for you guys to see soon. Well, sounds like we're going to be safe if you get your butt back in a racing car and get you off the road. Absolutely, I'm a danger. I'm a menace. Listen, um, 
not too long to wait till that happens i'm really pleased to say uh, but it it does mean that we've come to the end of our podcast series cue, cue sad noises Oh, boo. Oh, oh. <laughs> a big thanks to uh it's been it's been really nice hearing your story and getting to spend a bit a bit, bit more time with you than i do over a race weekend so thank you ever so much for your time thanks to all our guests who, who joined us over the over the past um three episodes but especially to jake for joining us this time around um and best of luck to all three of you for donnington um and the whole season ahead in fact i am um, i can't wait to see you all at that first race so um but from now, it's it's bye from me and bye from all of us. Bye, guys. Cheers, Cheers Go, Bye. Hondas. Woo! Team Honda. Team Honda.